Don Luca, smoke you like my hookah Pump fake right, then I step back in illusion That's a boss move maneuver, billionaire entrepreneur Mark Cuban on the viewer, put you rookies on a skewer I stay shitting on you boys like I came up from the sewer Used to have a lot of dollars, now I got a lot fewer What you saying to me? I hope you save it for me I'm about to kill the game, and I put it in my testimony Hi, welcome to the Mainstream Mouse Podcast. This is your host, Will. I'm joined here by my co-host, Jaron. What is up, guys? And today, we'll, we will be getting into the Dallas Mavericks 137-128 to overtime victory over the San Antonio Spurs. Probably the epitome of chaos game of the Mavericks season. Potentially a season-saving game for the Mavericks as they have 12 games remaining. They are now at 500. I believe they are now 8th in the Western Conference. Uh so there have obviously been a lot of different conflicting things that happened in this game. When we talk about Christian Wood having a great performance, but of course the San Antonio Spurs were heavily injury, you know, injury depleted. Dwight Powell had a great game attacking the glass and coming up clutch in the pick and roll in this one. But conversely, Maxi Kleber had one of the, biggest meltdowns I think that we've seen from an individual player in the NBA all season within the last few possessions of regulation. There's a lot of different things to get into with this one. Um, At the end of the day, the Mavericks came out with a win somehow. Did they deserve it? That remains to be seen. I mean, that's for you to determine, obviously, because in my opinion, they probably don't. But nonetheless, wins are of the utmost importance at this stage in the season, especially given the Mavericks position after dropping those last two to the Grizzlies and which were probably some of the more deflating games of the season. Jaron, what was your immediate reaction to this game versus the Spurs? Uh, I mean, I'm going to stick in the same boat as I was against Memphis. And I still think that this is uh, maybe the worst win of the year. And the reason why is because again, I mean, I know both squads were depleted, but you're playing the San Antonio Spurs squad who you can argue is full of or at least half their players are full of G League talent guys and they're going out there and proving why you know they belong in the league and i mean props to them i felt like they played a pretty good game uh conversely the Mavericks once again proving how i guess depleted this roster is of talent and how depleted this roster is of value players outside of Josh Green and uh, Jaden Hardy and of course Christian Wood but other than that I think you know some guys proved their their worth and others I think proved how depleted slash how you know what do you call it how talentless this team is yeah 100 percent and I'm just going to run through the full injury report here the Spurs were without Keita Bates Diop Kim Birch Charles Bassey Devin Vassell Jeremy Sohan and Zach Collins, Malachi, Malachi Brand, uh, Branham, Trey Jones, Romeo Langford, as well as Keldon Johnson were all probable or questionable, but they did end up playing. The Mavericks, of course, were without Tim Hardaway Jr., Markeith Morris, Luca, and Kyrie, of course, and then Christian Wood was qu- questionable, and he ended up playing. So that just shows the depletion of both of these rosters. But, uh, I mean, highlight how many guys were out in the Spurs and the Mavericks' perimeter defensive woes still persisted. And you can make every excuse in the book about the Mavericks top guys being out. But at the end of the day, those aren't even the better, you know, sort of tier of the Mavericks defensive players in this one. So that I thought was honestly the most deflating aspect of all of this. But 
Before we get into this game, of course, here is an ad from our sponsor, Spotify for Podcasters. All right, Jaron, so getting into this one, this was a game that saw no team really have a lead until the Mavericks were able to take it home in overtime and really plant their foot um, upon that hill down in San Antonio. But otherwise, this was a game that saw both teams change leads a ton of times, and it didn't really seem as if anybody could actually take heed in this one. What did you see from the Mavericks as they opened up the game in this one? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, conversely, I think it was a, a Josh Green and very Jaden Hardy first quarter, uh, one where we saw both those guys kind of catch fire. Um, I think offensively, we really saw how how much of an identity or lack of identity, I should say, that this team really has outside of their two star players. It kind of just seems like, you know, guys are really running around trying to get their own offense. It doesn't seem like there's any flow uh, or any connection for that matter throughout this offense. And that's really I think that was put on a standstill at this first quarter, um, especially without Tim Hardaway Jr., who's, you know, you can argue one of the better guys identity wise for this team. Um, and, you know, having two young guys with Jane Hardy and Josh Green having to run your offense. Now, granted, they honestly have played really good, but even still, I, I think that it looks difficult. It looks kind of disgusting. And that's offensively. I think that kind of sums it up throughout the game for that matter. Yeah. Um, defensively or go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, I was like, defensively, I honestly didn't feel like it was that bad a performance. Um, I mean, I know San Antonio, they were really depleted, especially on the offensive end outside of uh, Doug McBuckets, but really and Keldon Johnson, I guess. Um, but I felt like, you know, really, at least in that first half, they kind of kept them on a still. I know, what was it, 11 first half turnovers by the Mavericks, I think. Um, yeah, and then they ended up, the Mavericks ended up finishing the game with 18 turnovers. The Spurs ended up only actually finishing with 10. But from the Mavericks' perspective, you definitely saw when the ball was in the hands of Josh Green, McKinley Wright the fourth, and Jaden Hardy, respectively, that they definitely, as the game went on, you could see how that workload and the amount of sets and, you know, offensive plays that they had to process, it, it caught up to them at certain points. And the the Spurs were full court pressing at times during this game. There was a lot of trapping and there was a lot of diagnosing. It was almost a game that you would have loved Kyrie and Luca to be out there just to be able to slow things down. We always talk so much on this podcast about pushing the pace, but this was a game where, you know, you have a young, um, giddy, you know, ready to go Spurs team that, is trapping from every which way, essentially, but doing so very erroneously and very um, erratically. And you would have liked if you could have had somebody down there down to um, sort of just slow the tempo up and be able to, you know, diagnose and hit guys in the four and three, because the Mavericks, you could definitely tell it rattled them at times as the game went along. But starting off, I do think that Josh Green and Jaden Hardy put some good pressure on the rim, but we could definitely see that their shot diet uh, just turned a little more laborsome. And especially as the game went on, they just didn't have their legs under them on certain shots. And they obviously started to miss a little bit more, but they were able to come through in the fourth quarter and overtime when it really mattered. But to your point about how the Mavericks played defensively in that first half, I think that they played pretty well, but I do think that they obviously were, um, unfortunately, the benefactors of some really good shot making from the Spurs. I mean, they were making some tough shots in that first half, 
The second half, you know, really until overtime, I do feel as if the Mavericks defense definitely started to lapse a little bit. And some of that shot making from guys like Trey Jones and Malachi Branham in that first half where they were making some really uh, difficult contested mid-range jump shots and floaters. I think the Mavericks started to get that in their head a little bit and they started conceding a little more and letting guys blow past them. The Mavericks also definitely played down to the youth of the Spurs in the sense that they were also uh, defensively, you know, really, I think the only remediating factor that they had was Reggie Bullock, who was stout and he was good at his screen navigation in this one, but the Mavericks were doing a lot of over fouling. Uh, There were, you know, Christian Wood, for instance, like said, a lot of illegal screens. There were were just a lot of like curable mishaps that even though the group out there that was young tonight, you know, they're not super young. You would hope that these things would be patched by game 70 in the season. Yeah, no, for sure. I I 100% agree with that statement that you just made. Um, I, yeah, I think that the, like the fact of the matter for me is, you know, at the end of the day, it, like it was a close game. I know again that the Spurs had some guys out, and of course the Mavericks had their top two, arguably three guys out, um, due to injury. But even still, like it, it just kind of lacked a, an identity. I guess you can say. I feel like you know throughout these, like you look on the great or not great teams, but you look at the good teams this year, the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, I mean Brooklyn Nets without, you know, whenever Kevin Durant and Kyrie were both playing for them. Like, you can see how whenever their star players aren't playing, how they still have an identity. And for me, I think that's kind of coaching. Um, I know, you know, we're going to go more into this big picture in the next podcast. But um, for, for me, I think that that's just, you know, how do you not have an identity within your second unit, third unit? Uh, we, of course, saw most of that, you know, tonight without Luke and Kyrie. But I don't know. Offensively, it just it, it looked a little lackluster to say the least I don't really know what kind of words you can use for that um I mean I guess you can say we're thankful that Christian Wood was able to kind of hoist the team on his back at times I know he had some bad fouls you know due to some stupid illegal screens and all the fact that that matter um but even still you know I I don't know my big thing is just there there was zero identity um like like you said, there was just a bad shot diet through even the two guys that took the most shots with Josh Green and Jane Hardy. Um, they took eventually bad shots, um, especially in that third quarter is whenever I started seeing things fall apart. In that fourth quarter, it definitely picked up. Um, but yeah, in that second and third quarter is whenever things really took a dip. But yeah, I, I think, I guess I just want to get your thoughts on it. Like, do you feel, I know this is more big picture, but do you feel like there's any sort of identity throughout this team without Kyrie or Luca on the floor? Or like, even you know, offensively or defensively. I know defensively this team has been lost basically since the start of the season, but offensively, did you even have a sense of an identity? I mean, I I do kind of concur with you that it definitely felt sporadic and they did defer to a lot of ISO ball. It's it's a lot harder for the Mavericks. They definitely, you know, ran a lot less horn sets, you know, to really furbish that offensive identity that, you're alluding to without those guys in just because they're taking, you know, they have such a high usage rate, both of them, but nonetheless, I mean, I I think that I don't know if I would necessarily subject Jason Kidd. You know, I I think that, you know, we have another podcast coming out tonight regarding the team and some big picture stuff. 
And there are some definitely th some things that I'm going to go hard in on him with, particularly some of his quotes to the media and things of that nature. But in terms of the lack of identity without Luca and Kyrie out there, I don't know if I would necessarily place that upon him, just given that you're, you know, asking a 22 and 20 year old to spearhead your offense, uh, one of which is not even necessarily a primary, you know, playmaker or creator. So I think that that's just sort of a personnel problem at the end of the day. I do think, you know, had Christian Wood obviously played more these last few games and maybe over this just stretch since the all-star break and had he never got hurt and, or if Jason Kidd, obviously, you know, it had, had deferred to him more in the rotation, they would have been able to run the offense through him even more in this one. I mean, we, he didn't even start of course. And, you know, he was, of course, riddled by foul trouble. So had that not happened, I think that he could have had an opportunity to even have a bigger game than he had ended up finishing with, uh, with 28 points and 13 rebounds, just from the standpoint that there was, I mean, he was against Dominic Barlow and Gorgie Dang, Gorgie Jang, who are fringe NBA centers, you know, Barlow, 19-year-old kid who, I mean, he's got some promising upside just from how springy he is. Um, but definitely lacks a certain attention to detail on the defensive end that he'll have to get more discipline in. And, you know, Zhang, obviously, you know, he's getting up there in age and he's, he's fairly easy to blow past. And, you know, even when the Spurs switched, uh, you know, it felt like whatever, you know, smaller defender was on Christian Wood, even if it was one of their more stout defenders in like a Keldon Johnson or a Romeo Langford, they were kind of at his mercy at times. And, you know, had coaching and foul trouble swung differently. I think that the Mavericks would have had a little bit more of an offensive identity in this one. But nonetheless, I, I do agree that it oftentimes, especially in this game, felt sporadic and we didn't necessarily know where the offense was coming from. The Mavericks, you know, with Hardy at the point of attack, they were lo running a lot of staggers and, um, you know, down screens with one guy, especially when Maxi or Batons were in. And then, you know, they would use that screener to rescreen. And I mean, Hardy's good at, you know, snaking and being able to sort of sort through all that mess and sift through all that sort of things. But you could definitely see that at times there were just too many bodies flying around for him. And uh, consequentially, he, you know, turned the ball over a few times. The same thing with McKinley Wright. And they kind of did just look lost out there. So I, I definitely do concur with you that, there was some definitely, definitely some offensive identity issues in this one. Yeah. So fast forwarding this one a little bit, I guess, just to address the elephant in the room. Um, I know at the top of the podcast, you kind of discussed how Maxi just had a complete kind of meltdown, um, you know, pretty much on both ends of the floor. So I wanted to kind of dive a little bit into that inbounds pass. I think it was 1.5 seconds. We got to backtrack first to what actually happened at first. So, I think there was like 3.8 seconds left yeah. and it had just come off Jaden Hardy going one of two at the foul line. The Mavericks were up 121 to 119 and Keldon Johnson gets the, the Spurs took a timeout. So they were able to advance the ball and Keldon Johnson takes the inbound pass. Josh Green is the defender immediately spin moves on him. He's able to blow past him a little bit. Um, this is a little off topic, I guess, but just in terms of Josh Green's defense over this last stretch since the all-star break to just allude to some of the points that we were making earlier about it being, you know, about some things being sporadic offensively, Josh Green's defense has definitely been a lot more reminiscent of the last two years over this last little stretch. 
He has not been, you know, as positionally savvy. He hasn't, you know, been getting down in his stance as much. He hasn't been as stout. He's definitely kind of, you know, steel chasing, over fouling, not using his athletic tools in the way that we would hope. And I mean, I just wanted to highlight that because that was also, I think, a big thing where he was losing a lot of guys at the point of attack in the second half, particularly like anytime he was matched up on, you know, Keldon Johnson or Trey Jones. And I mean, I'm not saying that those guys are negligible by any means, but you know, it, it's not the sort of star power and it doesn't carry the sort of aura that the guys he's been going up against in a nightly basis um, in a loaded Western conference. And that's got to be patched up before playoff time uh, because, you know, he's become an integral part of this rotation. And we, you know, if, if that's going to be his mean is, you know, this, the first and second year, Josh Green, then that, that puts the Mavericks in even a tougher position defensively. And I think that that was some of their downfalls tonight, but other, nonetheless, like I was saying, Kelvin Johnson spin moves, blows past Josh Green. He gets fouled. And I think that, you know, and it's by Maxi, of course. Maxi does a great job going straight up. They go to the replay center. And I think that they end up concluding that Maxi's lower body had enough contact with Kelvin Johnson to where they called a foul. So, I mean, it was one of those bang, bang calls, but Maxi, I thought did a good job of going straight up. I think personally, you know, if Scott Foster's not up in there. It's one that, you, you know, maybe the Mavericks get away with, but nonetheless, Keldon Johnson ends up missing the first free throw, puts him in a weird position. And he does the whole thing where he's trying to, um, once he gets the second free throw, he's obviously trying to miss it. Just like Luca did earlier with the 60 point game this year against the Knicks and try to, you know, get his own rebound. But, he does the thing where he catches it immediately and then basically launches it directly at the rim to just try to, you know, get it going around the circle, maybe get a back tap with it hits right underneath the front of the rim to where somebody can rebound it. Uh, but he, he does it immediately after getting the, you know, ball from the referee. It's sort of a, um, that's, that's kind of a typical play that we tend to see where guys try to do that, to catch people off guard, but he either barely hits the rim or doesn't hit it at all. It goes out of bounds. And I mean, I think he commits a lane violation, so it yeah, doesn't it matter anyways. Uh, nonetheless, it's Mavericks ball with 1.8 seconds left. And all the Mavericks have to do is inbound the ball to win without, you know, even surveying anything. I don't know if the Mavericks had any more timeouts left. I don't think they did because I think they used their last timeout with that yeah. challenge. Uh, but nonetheless, so they didn't have any timeouts if, you know, the Spurs were pressing them enough to where they need to call one. But Maxi just nonchalantly throws it basically three quarters court to Christian Wood down on the baseline and it goes way over his, his head and it's out of bounds. And I mean, you would have just liked to at least see him make more of a conscious effort to, you know, find something that is just not as difficult of a pass in that moment. Cause yes, Wood was open. He did have a lead and that was probably the most open guy at the moment, but also probably the most difficult pass to make. And because it didn't touch anybody and it didn't even touch the court. The Spurs are able to take it back and they're able to get the ball and stay on that side of the half court. And then the Spurs end up switching, I believe on a down screen, uh, Josh Green and Maxi have to switch um, on the ensuing play inbound play. I think the Spurs took a timeout after that. Yeah. And Maxi, you know, he looks as if he switches on to Keldon Johnson at first, but then just, you know, his back is turned to him and he just lets him get a free lob. I forget to be honest, who was inbounding it for the Spurs, but they throw a really good pass and Kelvin Johnson 
dunks it with 1.5 seconds left. And the Mavericks don't have any time out to inbound it, don't get a shot off, and they go to overtime. So, Jaron, what were your thoughts on that just meltdown for Maxi Kleber? I don't, you know, I kind of want to take it from a grain of salt because, you know, he hasn't played too terrible since he's come back from injury. But that was just a mental mistake that you cannot have as an NBA player in the waning moments of a pretty, um, in, certain, in terms of stakes-wise, maybe not in terms of the players involved because it was, you know, quite literally, quite literally almost a G League out ga- game out there. But in terms of stakes, it's a huge game as the Mavericks are, you know, approaching the end of the regular season here in terms of you know, the ramifications that it entails for playoffs and all that. What what do you think happened there with Maxi? Uh, I mean, I think it's, uh, I mean, to point it to one thing, I don't think you really can do it. Uh, maybe a little disgruntled, discouraged after kind of throwing it straight out of bounds from the other side of the court. I think that might have a tail of it. Um, also, I mean, it is a hard switch to make, especially, you know, coming full, like full sin off the down screen. That's kind of what Kelvin Johnson did. It was a full, like bang, bang switch play that you, you have to be prepared for. I don't think the matter. Yeah, I mean, are- it was like a literal pin down because, yeah. um, I mean, it was almost as if like they were, you know, running like some sort of like pick and roll action. He was yeah. like screening from behind because, and I mean, that's not trying to play devil's advocate or anything. Maxie's still got to make that play, but yeah, I mean, it, 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 it was kind of hard, but at the same time, like, you, you know, I know that they weren't, I don't know exactly what their roles assigned. I don't know the ins and outs or intricacies of the Mavericks defense, but you know, you have to imagine, you know, he was the last guy there. He's the last line of defense. There, there's gotta be something to at least not conceding the the rim there, you know? Oh yeah, no. And I think Maxie's the one guy that you should expect to make that play um, for him to not make that play. And especially in the fashion in which it happened, where pretty much his whole basket or his whole back was turned to the basket uh, or turned to Keldon Johnson. I think it was just pretty, I mean, I guess it's the sum of all sums in terms of like this Mavericks defense, um, if you want to quote it like that. But the, this was definitely just one of those meltdowns where I think it kind of just trickled down into, you know, event after event kind of led its way into this. I mean, the Mavericks shouldn't have been in this situation in the first place, but even still, um, I I mean, the fact that you're finding your way into this and now you're having to deal with this, I think that's the one guy you should have to rely upon on at least giving yourself an effort on defense. And that's what we didn't see. Um, And of course, you know, Reggie Bullock pretty much runs with the ball and just kind of hoists up a shot with like, two seconds after the, the buzzer ring. So yeah, that pretty much just sums up the game, but um, definitely that this holds any stake in terms of, cause I know there's some discourse on Twitter. That's, that's been pretty harsh at maxi, but are, are you taking too much credence to this little sequence of events or are you kind of just going to write it off as a, you know, big mental brain fart? Like, look, I mean, I, I'm going to write it off as a brain, a brain fart or whatever you want to call it. But I, I think maxi is definitely a capable guy. Uh, I mean, he's proven time and time again why he's the best defender or at least a top two defender on this team. We're, you know, very depleted of defense as of lately. And having him back is still as amazing as, you know, having Luca or Kyrie come back. But uh, even still, like this is a, a mistake that, you know, you can't just erase from your mind. You have to keep it there. Learn from it. Um, I mean, you're going to see plenty more of it, especially with the playoffs coming up. But this is a, a key role player. Uh, a key guy that you know you kind of need in your rotation and 
if you are kind of taking notes and, you know, keeping a mental note, whatever, I, I don't think you can, you know, yes, like I said, don't erase this from your mind, but you can't just hold on to this one forever. Like this is a one-off scenario. I feel like in terms of his books, we've seen him sort of knock these out uh, plenty of times beforehand. He's been like the the main culprit and kind of breaking up game winning plays. Like he's, he does that. Um, so I, I, I'm not going to count that as, you know, anything that result revolve from the season or, you know, him mentally, you know, being not locked in, whatever it is, whatever you want to call it. I, I'm not going to tally it as that. I think, yes, it was a brain fart. Yes. It sucks that it was in this moment and it was in such an important game, but of course the Mavericks ended up pulling it out. So it made it at least a little bit better. Yeah, I know for sure. And speaking of the Mavericks pulling it out, Jaron, how were the Mavericks able to ready the storm in that overtime period? Um, they obviously sort of rode the coattails of Christian Wood and Dwight Powell throughout much of the fourth quarter, uh, particularly, you know, Christian Wood early on that fourth quarter. And once he got in foul trouble by virtue of like three illegal screens set in a row, uh, Dwight Powell, just his hustle, his energy, getting those offensive rebounds, um, you know, being that outlet to really having some good hands at times to receive some, you know, fairly difficult passes um, out of double teams from Josh Green and Jaden Hardy that they were getting Dwight Powell to. And I mean, to his credit, you know, even against a very weak and brittle Spurs front line, he did a good job of, um, you know, catching and diagnosing his surroundings, you know, uh, operating, you know, in some scenarios as the outlet passer in the four and three. And, you know, sometimes he was doing a really good job at just going up and finishing. So they sort of rode, rode the coattails of that down the stretch. How were they able to pull this one home after a very sort of weird emotional sequence there at the end of the fourth quarter? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if it was just me, but I felt like overtime was kind of a completely different game. Uh, I don't know why the, the Mavericks looked a lot more confident. They were running a lot more schemes. Uh, defensively, they looked pretty, pretty good. Um, I don't know if it was just, you know, a mix of the Spurs kind of taking bad shots and running into, you know, bad lanes, taking stupid shots. Like I said, I, I don't know if it was a mix of that and kind of getting lucky or what it was. But I, I felt like the Mavericks, you know, offensively really picked it up. Uh, they're running some schemes between, you know, Jane Hardy and Christian Wood that I thought really worked. Uh, one thing, I, I don't know if it's going to get mentioned in a lot, but I felt like Hardy honestly ran the offense really well. At times, it kind of, you know, was almost like chickens running out, running around with their heads cut off. And he was the one able to, you know, grab the ball and sort of just dribble off and, you know, kill off a few seconds, wait for the everybody to get set again and then, you know, run some schemes and, uh you know, Christian Wood was really the main benefactor of those uh, moments. But uh, I mean, even Reggie Bullock, I think he had a three in overtime. Um, he had two. Two, yeah, that's what, yeah. So Reggie Bullock, uh, Josh Green as well, I think. Like these guys were really main benefactors of kind of slowing down the offense, getting things run. There was a lot of corner threes, which is, you know, obviously the, the shortest three-point shot you can take. Um, there was a lot of those being taken. I, I just think that the offense was really run smoothly um at times at least I know that there's definitely moments where it just kind of looked like both teams were just running around kind of chasing after the ball but definitely whenever it was cut down to smoothness I think Jaden Hardy was really the main culprit of that and really the main culprit of why I think we scored 17 points in that you know overtime period which is pretty unfrequent or it doesn't happen a whole lot yeah no I thought the Mavericks did a lot better job of getting the ball to the middle of the floor in that overtime period uh we we saw in a lot of those um down screens where you know the Mavericks would then redirect into 
a stagger or something like that. Hardy was just being able to sift through that mess a little bit better. And I, I definitely think he settled down a little bit. And, you know, as Christian Wood alluded to on Twitter today, as well as in his Valley Sports Southwest postgame interview, um, they definitely looked a lot more poised down the stretch there. And, I mean, they were able to bring it home. And it, it just looked like a stark contrast compared to the first four quarters where they were just as erratic as the injury-riddled, you know, young Spurs team. So they started to, you know, Christian Wood got a few face-ups and, you know, they used him as the outlet in the short roll one time. Uh, one of my favorite plays of the night actually is when I think Christian Wood was the, out, uh, was the outlet in the short roll. And then they, the Spurs sent another, another double at him and Dwight Powell slipped and rolled and they had a little big to big lob. So it, it just looked a lot more savvy and uh, complete down the stretch. And I mean, to those guys credits, you know, it's just specifically, specifically Hardy and Wood, you know, you can kind of probably accredit some of those Aaroness plays and some of that sort of offensive, uh, you know, just junk that they had to kind of sift through to them not really getting heavy minutes, uh, especially throughout this, you know, last 10 to 20 game stretch. So I'm, you know, just, you have to be out there and get real game reps, you know, practice can only do so much, of course. So it was good that they were able to sift through that and they were able to bring it home down the stretch. They, Pulled through pretty decisively. It also looked as if the defensive intensity, uh, definitely the ante was up there in overtime. Even like Josh Green, for instance, I thought he did a better job of just staying home on guys. And the Mavericks were getting hands up at the rim. The help defense was a little bit better. And, you know, as much as we like to knock the guy, and this is a lineup that we've been skeptical of, you know, Dwight Powell in tandem with Christian Wood does allow for good offensive spacing, you know, with the ability for, you know, especially in, you know, I don't know – with Kyrie and Luca back, but with their, you know, with them not being included, you know, it allows for Christian Wood to be able to, you know, face up and spread the floor a little bit more and then use Dwight Powell's roller. And then on the other side of things, you know, Christian Wood can kind of freelance guard some guards. And I mean, obviously Dwight Powell is not necessarily the guy that you want at the backline defense or, you know, defending even rudimentary pick and rolls for that matter. But uh, against a, a fairly depleted Spurs front line, uh, I think it made his job a lot easier in that department. And he had some pretty solid, you know, stops down the stretch. So where, where he even, you know, had to switch on like Kelton Johnson at one time. So by virtue of that, the Mavericks were able to bring it home. Do you have any other thoughts on this? Probably, you know, weird uh, hokey game that was a terrible win, but also saw five Mavericks scoring 20 plus points for the first time all season. And I don't even know how much that's happened this time, this time. I don't even know how much that's happened in the NBA this year. So, I mean, do you have any more thoughts on the game just in general? Um, I mean, I don't know if you want to discuss this now or later tonight in the different podcast, but can we get at least a little bit of discussion around Jaden Hardy and whether or not he should be having a role in this team? Cause I mean, yeah, we'll get to that when we go through the players. Uh, yeah, okay. and everything like that. So let's go ahead and segue into that, actually. Um, I guess we can go ahead and start with Jaden Hardy, for that matter. You know, I think that we've kind of talked about, you know, how he had to take lead as the main uh, proprietor, sole proprietor of the offense at times in this game. And, you know, there were times where you saw just the extreme talent and the potential there. And, 
conversely, like we saw a lot, you know, like I alluded to a lot of the schematics of everything sort of catching up to him at times. What did you think of how he played uh, just overarchingly in this game? Yeah, I mean, I felt like overarchingly, I thought that he had a really good game. Um, you know, uh, not crazy effect, efficient game, but I mean, again, he's, you know, 20 years old. We're not going to see these crazy, super efficient games probably until a, a few years down the line. But the the way that I think he controlled, especially in overtime, he, the way he controlled the offense, uh, I, I think just has key attributes of being a leader, at least a future leader. Um, and I mean, and for I know, a rookie guy like that also, I hate to interrupt yeah. you, but he went nine for 10 on the free throw line tonight and he was getting, there were a lot of no calls that I think that he just hasn't been getting just due to some sort of lack of respect from the referees, just being a younger guy. And I, I think what I was most impressed by was his ability to, you know, still have a very marginal and effective impact on the game, despite having a very inefficient shooting night and things of that yes. nature. And, you know, having some woes in terms of being able to diagnose what the defense was giving him and everything like that. Yeah, for sure. And I think another big thing is his shot diet. Um, I know at times it did look a little kind of meh, but um, also through majority of that game, I mean, a lot of his shots were at the rim. I know, you know, not crazy efficient, but again, as you alluded to a second ago, where he's just not getting as many calls as, you know, guys like Luca or Kyrie, for instance, he's not going to get those kind of calls. Um, he's going to have to sort of, you know, throw his head down and get on the foul line. And that's exactly what we saw. We saw him nail down nine for 10 um, from the free throw line. And he, he nailed some huge free throws in this game. I know he missed one that probably would have put the game away. Um, <clears throat> but as, as we mentioned, you know, I mean, he's a, he's a young guy, he's a rookie. Uh, we, we shouldn't expect him to do these kind of things for this team. And he's having to do these kind of things for this team. Um, it's definitely something that we, we want to see. Um, but we shouldn't have to see it. And that's exactly what we're having to see for this team to win. Um, I think, as you mentioned, you know, offensively, his his ability to kind of just snake down low, um, really sort of shade off screens and shade off uh, second or shade off of double teams, even, you know, switches it for that matter, uh, is sort of just in tangent with, you know, his ability to get to the rim. Uh, he has an uncanny ability to almost Kyrie-esque in a sense, uh, like definitely not as a rhythmic or artistic in that fashion but he's definitely he can get to the rim at the same fashion in which Kyrie can just as sheer ability of just getting to the rim however which he wants to do uh that's kind of what we saw at times and you know especially throughout the season but also his I want to say um he hit a few mid-range shots uh I, I don't know if any of them nailed in but they did look clean yeah uh, sort of like off of you know dribble offs and you know kind of catch and shoot you know mid-range shots it looked it looked pretty um I, I I know again that they mostly didn't fall in but still it looked pretty I think it's only a matter of time um I mean I, I think that that pretty much covers it in terms of Hardy uh do you have any other thoughts yeah I mean just like when you were talking about the finishing I think that there's a lot of times he can get to the rim really early and you know easy on at the beginning of the game, but once the defense, you know, starts to bring a second defender over, he just got to, you know, it's just a learning process for him in terms of, you know, being able to diagnose that and start maybe taking a little more of those mid-range jump shots and, you know, some more threes when guys go under on a pick and roll on him, things of that nature. Um, I thought defensively he played pretty decent there. 
you know, in the same sort of boat that Josh Green was in. I thought that he did uh, definitely kind of uh, fall victim to a lot of those plays where he oftentimes, you know, you know, more so with him uh, than, than Green would just lose guys on rotations. And he, he, you could tell that that heavy dosage of minutes definitely came with a lot more defensive woes. You know, he did a good job like one-on-one individually, but th- there were some times where he kind of, you know, preemptively closed out on guys or missed a rotation and was just being a little too uh, handsy. But nonetheless, you know, I, I thought he gave good effort. And it's not something that I expect – um, you know, either of those offense or defensive woes to be just automatically mended for a rookie guy. He's he's in a learning process. Sure, he may have to play a very high dosage of minutes in a game like this, um, contrary to what he'd usually have to play. But other than that, I mean, you can't expect a ton from a guy given his position. So, I mean, just basically going off that, you obviously brought the question earlier. Do you think that he should be getting more consistent minutes in this rotation? Yeah, I mean, it- Especially what we've seen the last three games, I think it's a question that you have to ask or at least have to mention um, or acknowledge. But this is one, I mean, it's a tough question to answer just because it kind of depends on what you want to see from your team. Um, I don't think he's going to work in tandem with Kyrie as much or, you know, even at at times we've seen him if he's working with just Luca, he's been really effective. Um, but I would be surprised or I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him in a role with, um, you know, maybe a Christian Wood role where, you know, it's just maybe Luca, uh, Hardy and Christian Wood, some some lineup like that where, you know, offenses is a, of a premium. Um, but definitely if, if you're in need of offense and we've been saying this for a long time, but if you're in need of offense, definitely throw him out there. Um, now, the question of is is he warranted a role on this team? Um, I, I mean, you kind of have to look like what guys really have roles, Justin Holiday, um, his role's kind of depleting, you know, all, all these guys like fringe level, Frank Nilakina, he didn't even play tonight. Um, I mean, McKinley, right. He's got a jolt of playing time. Like there's guys like this where, you know, they're fringe rotational players and you also have to include Hardy in there who can make it out of that. Um, right now, I think the best case is probably Hardy. Uh, I think for that sort of last rotational spot, he definitely, gives you, as I mentioned, jolt of offense, uh, defense, you know, you're losing that for sure. But I think that there's a, a role for this guy, um, especially, you know, in in need of this last, you know, two weeks of basketball where this team just kind of looks like they've fallen off a cliff. I think he's the guy that's definitely shined bright um, and it doesn't get talked about enough, honestly. Yeah, I do think that there's some sort of redundancy because I know a lot of fans will just point to the fact that, you know, he scored so much in these last three games and how is this guy not playing? You know, this isn't like – I think this is dissimilar to the Christian Wood situation, uh, just given his role, you know, us already having Kyrie and Luka. When they come back, I mean, I think that he is probably warranted himself to get, you know, a consistent maybe 10 to 15 minutes. But, you know, in some of these higher stakes games, those those rookie mistakes tend to add up. And, you know, he's, he's been playing great, but he's also, you know, like I said, been essentially the sole proprietor of all the offensive creation and playmaking duties. So can we expect him to carry that burden or, or you know, thrive in a lesser role where, you know, he's going to be playing a little bit more off ball? He can certainly do that and he can, you know, certainly spot up. But, you know, the mistakes will definitely be, be amplified as we work down the stretch here. I think that, you know, 
it's really either him or McKinley Wright. McKinley Wright has been doing a really good job, you know, playmaking and defensively. And I think he's a little more controlled than Harvey Hardy is, despite, you know, some of those turnovers that he had tonight, which he had a couple just terrible ones. Um, so I, I think just kind of game dependent, if you really do need that interjection of offense, uh, just go to Hardy, maybe see what he has. But if you want just maybe another playmaker out there, somebody to kind of, you know, just push the pace and, you know, run your offense a little bit. If, you know, there's any time where you have non-Kyrie and non-Luka minutes together or you just need another creator out there, maybe go right direction. But I would say it's kind of game dependent for me specifically. Um, but I don't know. I, I think that conversely, like he's played, you know, he scored so much these last few games that, I mean, you just like got to give the kid a shot somewhere, even when Kyrie and Luka get back, even if it's just 10 to 15 minutes a game. So I guess that's kind of where I end up lying on that. But as we move forward into how some others play tonight, what did you think of Josh Green? Because I thought that, you know, I think that we've kind of talked more than enough, me specifically, just kind of about his defensive performance tonight. But offensively, what did you make of his game tonight, Jaren? Yeah, I mean, offensively, I felt more so in the first half. He was kind of more as a, a facilitator or being used as a, a facilitator. I think it definitely, you know, his playmaking aspect dipped off in the second half. I just don't think his, he was really used as much or uh, the offense really just ran through him as much as it did in the first half. But even still, I mean, he was able to find ways to get involved. Um, that's something that, you know, over the last few weeks, I feel like we've seen less and less of is Josh Green getting involved. And I, I think it's just kind of flipped um, since, of course, Luca and Kyrie have been out of the lineup. But he was able to get involved nonetheless. He was able to have 21 points and a huge impact on this one offensively, uh, where he went a pretty good 50% from the field. Um, and one where it kind of looked like any shot he was putting up, it was falling in at one point in time. Um, he had some really timely uh, threes in that overtime period, and especially in the fourth quarter where the Mavericks, you know, regained the lead after not having it for a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, conversely, he's proven to be a legit player. We all knew this, especially, you know, with his emergence this season, but he's proven to be a legit, you know, backcourt kind of guy. Uh, I know that, you know, you don't want to be relying on those and we're having to right now, but even still, I, I think that he's facilitated the offense enough to kind of at least ask some questions as to, you know, what, it, what's the full potential of this guy. Um, but I, I think that we saw just a really savvy offensive game, one where we saw him, you know, have his usual, you know, standing in the right corner at the right time and also having his usual, you know, coming off dribbles, coming off of uh, closeouts and picking off of those and, you know, just getting downhill really quickly. Like we saw a mix of everything in that aspect. Uh, we see, we even saw him get into his bag a little bit and I, I can't remember if he made the shot, but he had like a turnaround jumper um, and it kind of looked pretty clean. I, I think he missed it actually, but it, it looked clean, something that, you know, we don't usually get to see out of him with the ball in his hands, but uh, Nonetheless, I, I think that it was offensively a, a pretty sound Josh Green game. Even defensively, I think it was one of his better ones as of recently because he has definitely, you know, fallen off. Uh, now, saying, you know, better recently is still not that good, but uh, I, I felt like it was more of a identity game for him than anything, and I think that he, at least offensively, nailed it out of the park. Um, yeah, I thought he did a really good job of pacing. Uh, you're pushing the pace, partic particularly in the half court. You know, he's a guy that 
can blow by you at a moment's notice. Um, if he just, you know, if he just waves off the screen and goes to the other side, um, it, it can catch anybody defending him off guard. He does a really good job of that. You know, he, his bag is also, you know, is obviously ever developing and, you know, you, you can kind of see him get caught up doing too much sometimes. Uh, but he did do a good job facilitating in that first half, you know, making those wraparound passes to Powell in the paint, did a decent job in the pick and roll. He didn't look all too terrible, but you can definitely tell that the role that the Mavericks relegate him to having when, you know, Kyrie and Luca out there is, is a lot more, um, you know, effective per his skill set, if that makes any sense. You know, the ability to like run him off curl outs um, or run off curl outs as well as, you know, get him in transition running, you know, as a shooter a little bit more. Um, when he's relegated to having, you know, to do this point of attack offensive creation, it, it can definitely pay dividends at times because uh, he's able to just kind of catch guys off guard. But you also, you know, we saw uh, he doesn't have a lot of fail safe measures uh, when, when, you know, maybe his first uh, sort of option doesn't work out on a dribble drive. You know, we can see him get caught up sometimes. And we definitely saw that come back to bite him in that second half where he definitely waned off his production a little bit. But nonetheless, I mean, without Luca and Kyrie, it was still impressive that he was able to fill up the box score in the manner in which he did and um, still have a very efficient night. So I thought he played pretty well. What did you think of Dwight Powell's game, Darren? Because I, th- I think I talk- I've talked about the hustle and the pick and roll aspect, particularly in that fourth quarter. Um, but I just want to see if you had any other thoughts on that. I mean, honestly, I don't really have, you know, anything too much to add. Uh, I think that, you know, we definitely take him for granted at times whenever you're asking the question, Wood or Powell, um, you know, we're quickly to sweep him under the rug. But, the, I mean, he's a a feasible NBA talent guy. Uh, I think that, you know, sometimes, you know, we bash him too hard and, you know, we don't give him enough credit. And this is one where he kind of proves, you know, why he's still on this team and why, you know, he's looked at as – I mean, I hate saying this, but he's he's looked at as an option sometimes. Um, I mean, he finished with, you know, a, a, not career numbers or anything, but uh, 100% from the field. I mean, he didn't miss a shot. Uh, granted, all at the rim, but that's pretty much all he could do. So, um, I, I don't know. He had some weird moments in this one where he just, like, I felt like if he just went straight up with the ball, it probably would have gotten the foul and the basket, but he kind of, like, flailed way too much. And, and, and he missed. does that sometimes, and that ends up, to him missing a lot of layups, but yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, his hustle and the energy he provides is invaluable. He was winning a lot of 50, 50 balls tonight and uh, just attacking the passes that he was getting and, you know, having good hands, things of that nature. I, you know, I'm not going to say that this was his most effective game ever uh, just due to the fact that it was against a very thin Spurs front line that, you know, was playing guys that potentially you could argue are probably not NBA centers. Um, I, I think that those are pretty strong arguments there. Uh, but nonetheless, like, it was interesting to see him looking like the biggest guy out there having to play against, you know, Mamu Kashvili, uh, as well as, you know, Barlow and Gorji Zhang. He, he actually, like, size-wise was actually the biggest guy out there between most of those guys. And it, it definitely paid dividends at times, just his rebounding, him staying savvy in the pick and roll. And, you know, the, that Spurs defense – you know, if we're going to just, I guess, knock Dwight a little further, um, despite <laughs> his good game, they, they, they're they also very preemptive and, and they do kind of fail and flail in their pick and roll coverages a lot. And there were some times that they just 
I mean, I, I don't know if this was a coaching decision by Pop, just trying to get them more experience or what, but I mean, there were just some very like inopportune doubles and scenarios that it made it very easy for Dwight to kind of just catch and go up. But nonetheless, you know, he he really did hone down the paint in this one in a game where the Mavericks sorely needed to attack the rim. And, you know, that is truly invaluable where they they actually, you know, needed every single one of his 22 points in this one. Um, so another guy that I thought did a really good job of, you know, honing down and anchoring the paint as well as stretching the floor a little bit was Christian Wood. How do you think that he played in this one, Jaron? Yeah, I mean, Christian Wood, uh, I I mean, I definitely proved his worth, to say the least. Uh, you know, kind of being the culprit of his own offense at times and even, you know, slowing up the offense, but in a good way. Like, whenever it needs slowing is, or whenever it needs controlling, he would control it at times, especially in that overtime period. Um, he did a really good job of – him and Hardy did a really good job of just kind of, you know, I guess facilitating the ball, but like not, not facilitating the ball, just like maintaining offense. Um, I felt like he was really, you know, one of the guys that led us to the victory. It was him and, you know, two other guys really, but I felt like Christian Wood, this is more of a Christian Wood type game, you know, one where he doesn't do anything crazy, but he's, he's proves that, you know, he's on the court for a reason. Uh, He had 28 points off the bench and this one, and again, you know, this is a depleted, depleted Spurs, especially center rotation, but um, he was able to take full advantage of that. You know, we've seen him have troubles with the Spurs big men in the past. I mean, granted, you know, it was uh, Yaka Pirtle in the lineup, but even still, we saw him take advantage of this, and this was one where we kind of needed him to, and he came up huge in this one. I know he picked up some really bad offensive fouls early in the game, uh, and really kind of just inhibited him to play most of that third and fourth quarter. Um, but whenever we needed him most, he came out and played. And I, I think he had five fouls by the end of the game, but pretty much stuck it out through the whole entire overtime period um, without picking up a foul. And, I mean, that's just, you know, whenever you don't really have a whole lot to do defensively because he's not really relied upon anymore defensively, uh, he's able to do that. I, th- I want to say like four out of his five fouls were basically on the off, all on the offensive yeah. end. I mean, he um, was playing in like almost every lineup that he was in, there was another big end. Yeah, uh, exactly. Maxi or Dwight. So he wasn't that sort of back line of defense. And he was able to freelance on, you know, some of their 3 and D guys like Romeo Langford. And, and I, I definitely think that that played dividends because he can defend those type of guys pretty well. I mean, he can even switch on to small sometimes. Um, but, you know, like I said, I, I definitely think that it's been kind of a sort of call in terms of in terms of the optimization of how we could use him defensively um but you know otherwise yeah like he really catalyzed um just the offensive flow in this one for the Mavericks especially coming off the bench and you know Jason Kidd's um negligence to start him things of that nature I I was really impressed you know it was also kind of expected against just how slim that front line was that he'd have a big game once we saw that he was going to play after being listed as questionable but, I mean, he just did a good job in, you know, every sense of the imagination of, you know, being able to stretch the floor, you know, being a solid role man. Also, you know, when the Mavericks got stuck, which they did a lot of times at offense tonight, he did a really good job just, you know, having to face up or attack the basket, drawing fouls on whatever, you know, lackluster center was guarding him. So um, I was very impressed with this game. And 
do you think that this is going to lead to him getting more minutes? This seems like a basically biweekly discussion we have, you know, as we, and I'm sure we'll obviously have it more in our other podcasts tonight with Jason Kidd and everything, but what do you think about, do you think Jason Kidd is going to divert to Christian Wood a little bit more? This is the first time, I mean, albeit the Mavericks heavily depleted, of course, but this is the first time that he's closed the game, uh, played an overtime period or anything like that in a very long time, especially Jason Kidd actually, you know, instilling that confidence in him with five fouls, I thought was very interesting. This is not, you know, I know we have the excuses of the Mavericks, you know, obviously we're not this injury depleted as of recently, but I was surprised by that. Do you think that this was a sort of um, one of those games and, you know, especially one that he didn't look too bad defensively and that might yield more minutes for him? Or do you think Jason Kidd will still be ever stubborn when Kyrie and Luca come back? Um, I mean, just, the fact that Dwight Powell honestly had a pretty good game, I'm going to write this off and say he kind of just had to rely on him. Um, yes, he's a spark plug off the bench. Yes, he had a, a pretty good game in terms of that. Um, but then again, I, I don't know. Now that you bring it up, I am a little surprised that, you know, they did ride with him throughout most of that game and especially overtime period. And yet he he had five fouls throughout that whole entire overtime period. Um, I felt like that was just a big step up coaching. I mean, congratulations to Jason Kidd actually making um, we're making we're making it's the small <laughs> victories that matter in life, guys. <laughs> I, and I know, and here's the thing. I, I do want to bring up the sort of counter argument because I, I do know all the anti-Christian Wood people out there, you know, how he, you know, his inclusion on this team is negligible, and all he does is you know take away possessions from Kyrie when he's in there and things of that nature. And I mean you know, I, I would probably go along with the same narrative that I've been pushing for a long time. Yes, I, I am more on the pro-Christian Wood agenda, but I that doesn't mean I can't acknowledge the other side. I do get that the lineup data and most advanced metrics with the white pal and the on-off numbers all look, you know, significantly better. Uh, and, and it's not a negligible sample size either uh, compared to Christian Wood um, in that starting lineup. But, you know, I think if he's optimally used, you know, especially as Maxi comes up to speed, I think one of the Mavericks' best lineups they could probably go to defensively is with Maxi at the five and Christian Wood at the four. And I don't know if that's something they'll ever evolve into in terms of not ever being a starting lineup. I, I'm not asking for lone Christian Wood starting at the five or, you know, I, I get Dwight Powell as a good spot starter at the five, but I don't know. I, I just think that at the very least – even, you know, I, I don't even want to bring up the starting discussion for that matter. I probably shouldn't even have went in that direction. But <laughs> I do think that at the very least, even the anti-Wood people could acknowledge that he may warrant more minutes because I don't think I, – I, I just it, – it's a hard argument for me to hear that he obstructs the flow of the offense so much that, you know, he just takes away countless possessions from Luka and Kyrie – it, it, even when he's out there in other games, it doesn't seem as Porzingis-esque as I think some of you guys make it out to be, because I know a lot of people have have yielded or, you know, gave KP as a pretty uh, comparable guy to Wood in terms of how they, he, they feel like he has to find his offense and he's just taking away possessions. I, I feel like he can play within the flow of the offense. I mean, yes, there are times where he has to take a little bit more heat and he may have to do certain things a little bit more, you know, when Kyrie and Luca aren't out there, but 
I don't know. I, I just think that the call to action for the, him to get more Kyrie and Luca minutes together just to see how that gels, that's not even something that they barely went to this season ever since they made the Kyrie trade. I don't know. that. I, I just think that there's credence to the fact that it could still work offensively, defensively, and, offensively and defensively so long as he's paired with another big man out there. But I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. Even if he's not starting, I, I still think he should at least be playing 25 minutes a game. I mean, I agree with the minute margin. He should be playing 20 to 25 minutes at the very least um, because this is, again, I mean, this is a guy who is a starting caliber guy in the league. I think if you're going to stick him on a championship level roster, you know, you can make arguments there if you're going to start him or not. But needless to say, the fact that he's not playing and, you know, whenever he's not playing or whenever he is playing, he's playing, I mean, a mere 15 minutes a game, uh, especially whenever Luca and Kyrie are out there. It's kind of, just embarrassing at times because I mean, it's getting national attention at this point. Um, outside of that, I hopefully Friday, I don't know whenever the timetable is for uh, Kyrie return to return, but I would be interested to see a Kyrie or Luca lineup to see him in uh, because I really think in a one or the other lineup is yeah, where he's yeah. really effective. I'm, I'm in the boat where I wouldn't put him in with both. I just think that's just, I know this sounds, you know, very basic, but that's just too many people on the. Court. I guess to, to to, I guess sort of counteract my point, if he's not the lone big with both of them out there, that sort of takes away some of the rolling aspect, and then you relegate him on offense to being a guy that kind of needs to find his shot a little bit more, you know, as this sort of pseudo point forward. So yes. I, I do get that, um, but at the same time, you know, if he it might look good. I mean, you might want some other offensive creation from other spots. Cause I mean, even with Kyrie and Luca, we see them just get so doubled up at times and they seemingly have like no outlet. Um, even if Christian Wood's not acting as the lone big man in a lineup like that. So I don't know that I, I see what you're saying there. Other than that, I mean, yeah, like most of his minutes do come typically in those non Luca minutes at the beginning of the second and um, you know, at the end of the third and beginning of fourth quarter with Kyrie and I, I would just like to see them do a little more like direct act, action between each other because it does seem like in those 15 minutes he's in there, they're not running like pick and rolls like they were with Luke early on the season. There's no sort of Spain pick and roll action. It's just a bunch of Kyrie isos. Um, and then, you know, Wood sometimes will be the benefactor of a, a, a drive and kick. Or, you know, they'll if Kyrie takes a playoff, they'll ask him to go try and find his own offense. And I, I just don't understand – especially in those lineups where he's only with one of Kyrie or only with one of Luca, and particularly for like uh, at a premium when he's the only big, why they won't do any more, you know, what they won't divert to running any more pick and rolls or anything like that with him. That That's kind of puzzled me. Uh, just some more direct actions with him to optimize him a little more. Uh, I, I don't think he's as ball hoggish and as offense obtrusive as people make him out to be, but, that's just my opinion. Um, otherwise, you know, I think we'll talk more about him in the other podcast. What other guys do you want to highlight tonight? I, I think, you know, this is a guy that we've sort of avoided getting to yet, but I think Reggie Bullock, I don't have much to say about him, but other than that, it was probably like his best game of the season. I mean, I think he's yeah. the one guy that had probably one of his better defensive performances of the season. He had that key stop down the stretch. Um, he was just playing really good man-to-man defense in a game that sorely lacked defense from any other Maverick and, he was hitting all of his open shots that were giving to him. He, he was just doing a good job as a pacemaker and a veteran leader out there. 
Uh, you could see him kind of calling out rotations when Hardy missed one a few times. And I don't know, it, he's – his defense is, you know, and his output on that end has just increased seamlessly as we've gone throughout the, whole, the season. It's just been the typical – it is typified the Reggie Bullock season where he just has positive regression on both sides of the floor throughout the season. And then we get to this point at the end of the season, uh, contrary to the beginning of the season, where we were calling for this guy to get traded. And it's like, now it's like, oh shit, like this guy's one of the better three and D players of the league. So I, I don't really have much else to add other than like, I hope he continues to keep this up, but uh, you know, I, I would just like a little bit more consistency at the beginning of the year. I mean, I'm not saying he, he, he can play worse than he is now. Like I'm not expecting 20 points, six to 10, three point shooting every night, but I mean, if we can just at least get the defense at the beginning of the season, that'd make me happy. But I mean, he had a hell of a game tonight. Yeah, I mean, I would tally this as really just the perfect Reggie Bullock game. Um, I mean, he played high minutes, 46 minutes, uh, efficient shooting, uh, 13 rebounds. I think that was a career high, or at least I didn't even mention that. He got, yeah, 13 rebounds. Yeah. That's got to be up there in terms of the most he's ever gotten a game. I'll search it up as you continue. To yeah, um, and two steals, and one of those steals was really key late in game. Uh, I, I don't think it, you know, mattered in the grand scheme of things because it ended up going into overtime, but Still, I mean, an incredible steal. Um, but, yeah, I think that this was just a perfect Reggie Bullock game in the sense that he didn't do anything, you know, crazy uh, that we come to, you know, not see out of him. But everything that we expect to see out of Reggie is exactly what he did. And that's exactly what we saw. Great defense and great offense. And that offense comes in shooting. So, yeah, I, I, I thought it was a good game. And it was a career high in rebounds for him. And it was one off of his career high in minutes. He played – 47 minutes uh earlier this year against the Lakers in that other overtime game. So um I mean yeah he, he played a hell of a game tonight. Um so I mean that covers all of the the high heavy dosage, you know, the Mavericks having all those guys get 20 points tonight with the five guys. Uh that was pretty quintessential to them winning the game. Uh I feel like everybody else kind of just had a marginal impact on this game at best, but we can definitely gloss over them real quick. Uh first off, I think the next guy that played the best after that group of um 20 point scores and the only other guy in double figures tonight uh was probably McKinley right the fourth now his his impact definitely waned a bit and he you know just kind of similar to Hardy in terms of how the game kept going along you could definitely see that he just didn't have the you know offensive wherewithal and toolbox to be maybe just maybe mentally to be able to deal with all that sort of stuff but in terms of a guy that came in and provided like a good solid 20 minutes, he did a great job. I thought pushing the pace and uh, just sort of sifting through those pick and rolls and just acting as a, a sort of remediating factor for the Mavericks when things tended to get chaotic in that first and second quarter, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, this is a game where, um, you know, off the bench, some offense was needed. He, he applied that he did really well. He even had a pull up three that, which looked like, really clean we don't get to see that a whole lot of from his game he's been making a couple threes recently yeah he, he has been making a couple three and like this one i don't know why it just like looked really pretty it was nobody came to pick him up and he just threw it up and it went in um but yeah i mean this is definitely one where you know an efficient game out of him uh especially you know facilitating the ball not you know nothing crazy defensively he's just a good defending yeah. type guy it, it was definitely one of the worst defensive games I yeah thought. i was like he's getting blown by a few times pretty Pretty handily, yeah. and that's the one thing you can hope he can do is actually, you know, stick on his man. Yeah, yeah, stick Trey on Jones, his man because he's gonna I get shot over a lot given his size. 
Yeah, exactly. I think I think he was like one of the main defenders on Trey Jones throughout this game. But yeah, um, he was definitely, you know, man on man wise, he definitely got blown past a little bit. But team wise, I honestly think that he was one of the better guys um, throughout this game. But yeah, I, I just think, you know, it was a really well all around game or not all around, but really well offensive game from him uh, where he found his impacts, you know, not forcing anything. It was all given to him. Um, and I mean, I think it was one of the better games that probably won't get talked about enough throughout his career, but uh, he's definitely finding a role. I think it's kind of cool. Like we're seeing this guy's career kind of develop um, where, you know, he only played four games in Minnesota last year. And I don't know how many he's played this year suited up, but I mean, it seems like he's passed up Frank in the rotation almost. Yeah. Like, like I, I, mean, I guess it's game dependent, but it's, it's cool to see. Um, but yeah, this is definitely one of his better games I thought throughout the season. Yeah, no, definitely. What did you think about, uh, I guess we'll throw these guys in together. What do you think about how Justin Holiday and Davis played tonight? I thought specifically for Justin Holiday, I mean, he just, you know, he was moving around the arc, really just didn't get a ton of possessions to shoot. He went over one and I thought he played de- good defense when he was in there. Uh, other than that though, I mean, he gave a good 12 minutes. Uh, I thought Davis actually rotationally played some decent defense tonight. He had like two blocks at the rim. Uh, that were that were just kind of him being savvy. I mean, yeah, he got bodied a couple times. There was like one time where Kellen Johnson just took him to the basket, essentially. Um, but like as a team defender, he's actually, you know, he fills in the gaps as much as he can. Then he came in and made a few threes. I thought he actually gave the Mavericks a little bit of a boost in that fourth quarter there. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think it's weird saying this, but I thought Davis Bertans had one of the better games, at least on the roster this year, or this game. Um, he definitely had one of the better ones, but uh, even defensively, as we're saying this, he honestly had a, for his sake, you know, a pretty good defensive game, uh, you know, one where nothing stuck out other than those two blocks, but, um, you know, individually did everything he needed to do, uh, didn't look like a sore thumb other than like, you know, one or two possessions throughout this game, but it didn't seem like, you know, San Antonio was targeting him as much where, you know, it, if we're having to rely on this, you know, Friday against the Lakers, uh, maybe they're going to direct to driving on him more uh, compared to this game. But even still, he's able to find his impacts defensively and offensively. You know, we know he can do. That's exactly what he did. He went 50% from the three-point line, two for four, um, and knocking down basically two movement shots where, you know, he's like one of the only guys in the league that can really, at that speed, make those shots. Um, I, I want to say he had one uh, just sort of like very quick, like, shot like I don't know he just kind of like threw it up there but it went in um but yeah uh a good Davis Bertans game uh Justin Holiday good defensive game you know kind of just pacing and getting cardio on the offensive side of things um yeah, yeah outside of that I thought I thought that Davis had a good game and you know Justin Holiday uh I mean defensively good but again offensively I already said what I said so yeah exactly um what did you think about how Maxi played tonight, barring the, you know, just mental breakdown there at the end. I, I don't think, you know, I think he was a solid, you know, fortifier on that back end. But at the same time, you know, he, he was obviously having to switch a lot more tonight, I think, than he usually does because just how much the Mavericks were getting blown by in this game. But I, I don't know. I, I didn't think it was his best defensive game. There were some times where, you know, Blake, Blake Wesley, like Kelton Johnson, there were some times that he kind of got took to the rim a little bit on, but he also, you know, didn't just look like a complete black hole on that end. And offensively, he just really didn't have the opportunity to find his shot a whole lot. He made like one corner three off a broken possession, but 
they they weren't going to him if you that too much. He attacked Gorgie Zhang off a closeout, and I kind of felt sad because Maxi's legs just did not look there. And it was like at the end of the third quarter, I think he just got it swatted into like the second row. Um, so I, I think he's still kind of just getting his his jolt back. Um, you know, coming off that injury, he he doesn't look as athletically inclined, and we can see it offensively and defensively. But I mean, he's still. You know, barring the end, of course, where, you know, it's just a complete mental breakdown. I thought, you know, he, he still looks like a, you know, a, an okay role player out there at the moment. Yeah, I mean, this is one where defense was at a premium. Um, and I didn't think he gave the best effort, you know, just throughout the game. Yes, he's still getting his feet under him after that hamstring injury. But even still, I, I don't know. I I liked what you included though, where like his athletic ability is just kind of being, it's it's being shown at times, and especially you know whenever he did get blocked by Gorgi Dang, like that that was one where you're like, okay, this guy has seen better days, and hopefully he will see better days. But um, definitely, you know, in terms of Maxi, I don't think it was one of his better games. Um, we've seen better games throughout him, and honestly, for a pretty level-headed start uh or not start but since coming back to injury he's honestly played pretty good and this is probably I would tell you is maybe the worst one he's played oh definitely yeah um yeah and I think the uh, end in itself has to yeah exactly yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah I mean he's still coming back into form so I'm not gonna you know tally this up and be like okay this is horrible he should get his minutes reduced but uh definitely his worst game since coming back from injury no I completely concur uh JaVale got a little bit of a run there in that Second quarter, uh, which was surprising. Jason Kidd, I don't think, has played him since the Kings game. I know there's been some calls to just see what he has as the back. Mavericks big man situation just completely dissipates over these last few weeks. But I mean, I don't, I, I didn't really think he played too terrible. I thought he played solid defensively in his few minutes in there. Uh, he, he obviously was daring Gorgie Zhang to shoot every single possession. He let him have like three wide open threes. But other than that, I mean, I think he did a good job rebounding and. Did a good job in the in the role scenarios. He had four quick points. You know, he made two free throws and they got like an offensive putback, but he picked up two quick fouls and he never saw the floor again. Do you do you think we should see more JaVale minutes or a little bit at least, Jaron, as we approach uh, I mean, the playoffs? Uh I'm not gonna lie, in these spurts where he's playing like these four minutes, two minutes, you know, whatever it is, like he looks really well, but anytime he gets past like five minutes, yeah, like too much. Yeah. So I think in what role he's given, it's like I, yeah, I think where I'm at is if Maxi's woes continue into the playoffs and let's say 12 games from now, Maxi is still where he's at now. I think there may need to be a serious discussion about DeVale getting like actual minutes at that point. Um, but barring that, you know, I, I just don't know whatever he's giving you defensively is worth it enough to, you know, play over Christian Wood or Dwight Powell or even Maxi at times. What did you is there any guys from the Spurs that you wanted to, you know, highlight? You know, obviously they, they got a lot of just you know, young creators. I mean, obviously, Devontae Graham coming over in that trade, he had a solid impact on the game tonight, making four threes. He had that one four-point play. Um, they, they just got a lot of guys that can do a lot of different things, you know, with Malachi Branham. You know, he's that spark plug guy off the bench. Then they got some 3 and D guys that are sort of these pseudo creators and like Blake, Blake Wesley and then Trey Jones is really quick guard. He's, he's I mean – they got some talented young players despite all the injuries and everything tonight. I just wanted to see if there was any guys you wanted to highlight specifically. I think the Mavericks should have still fortified their defense better than they did, but 
nonetheless, like they, you know, I'm not going to act like they were just going up against a ton of bums on the other end. Uh, the Spurs do have some, some talented players, despite them definitely being, you know, probably one of the worst rosters in the NBA. Yeah. I mean, I think that's an underestimate or understatement to make, but uh, Keldon Johnson had his usual game, just, you know, being dominant pretty much. Um, I think everyone who suited up and could play played for the Spurs, if I'm right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know that you put a tweet out earlier today where it was like Blake Wesley's about to put 40 on us just due to the roster, but he ended up with only 11. Um, outside of that, I don't think I have anything else. I thought, you know, Kelvin Johnson looked really good. He always proves against the Mavericks to be a really good player. Um, and again, I mean, Devontae Graham, he hit some timely threes. Yeah, no, hundred percent. But other than that, we'll catch you guys in the next one. We have another podcast coming out right after this. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at mainstream underscore Mavs. If you guys are listening on podcasts or Apple, um, if you're listening on Apple podcasts or Spotify, make sure to follow us and give us a five-star rating. If you, so please, if you are listening on YouTube, make sure to like comment and subscribe down below. We will catch you guys after the Lakers game. And we will be back for another podcast tonight, talking about the state of the team and how the Mavericks fare in the Grizzlies games.